0: The doctrine of the restoration is that the soul of man is body and spirit. And if you want to understand how to better improve our mental health, that's a part of the body, we need to understand the connection between the spirit and the body. So there are some doctrines that if I misunderstand are going to weigh down my spirit. Now, my depression is pulling me down. It doesn't need help but if something's pulling my spirit down, what's it gonna do to the natural anxiety that I have? And that's one thing that's in my power to control, is to change my misunderstanding of doctrine so it has an impact over here. But did you notice last week, we could almost add another element. Last week introduced the idea that other people have a play in my mental, emotional, spiritual, and physical health. We are social beings. We are programmed to be social beings, right? It's even written into the plan of salvation. Can you enter into the highest degree of the celestial kingdom alone? No. You can't. Jesus himself can't. We are programmed to connect with other human beings. Now, that is the secret of our success and the secret of our failure. Because I guarantee your greatest happinesses have come because of people. And your greatest heartbreak has come because of people. And so if we're going to talk about the gospel and we don't talk about our connection to other people as an impact on physical, mental, and emotional health, we've missed a major piece of the gospel. We are programmed to be connected to other beings. So today, let me take you on a little journey. Unfortunately, the aha moments that we're really gonna make a difference in our lives will come after today. I have to lay a groundwork, which will probably take me all of today to lay, and then we'll spend the next couple of classes talking about therefore what. Let me make a case that one of the biggest influences of your mental health are the people you're letting into your life. Some of us are letting the wrong ones in. Other times we're not letting the right ones in. And both of those mistakes, I will testify at the beginning, are gonna have a major impact on your spirituality, your mental, emotional health. So let me, let me show you a pattern that has my attention. I would love it if the Lord presented our scriptures to us, having pre-identified the verses that he thinks are the most important. Wouldn't it be fascinating if the Lord underlined the scriptures and came down and said, now, do we believe that all scripture is of equal worth? No, we don't. No, especially if you read the Old Testament, right?
1: Yes. We, do not believe that, as as we do not
0: believe that all scriptures equal worth. So what scriptures are of the most worth? It would be nice if Heavenly Father pre-labeled them. If he came down and said, these are the verses that mean the most to me, Heavenly Father. But he doesn't do that. He doesn't mark them. How then does he identify the verses of scriptures most important to him? How does God emphasize which scriptures matter the most? Well, there's a lot of scriptures where it's God speaking to a prophet, or a prophet, you know, it's you'll see re- references to the Savior or Himself, or 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 to um, us from Him. And the sheer number of those references. Yes, the sheer so how does God emphasize? He repeats. Repetition. He repeats repetition is the lord's way of emphasizing the doctrines that are of the most important so if you if you develop an eye for what is he repeating especially as you read the new testament and then you read the book of mormon and then you read the doctrine of covenants and the old testament and pearl of great pride what is he repeating what messages are he re- is he repeating so let me point out a fascinating repetition that once i saw i can't unsee and once once you see it i can't not teach it every time i possibly can so if you've been in a class of mine before what fell oh tv thing that's the remote i can't find let me show you a repetition and i know it's scary but we're going to make it unscary. So let me show you a fascinating repetition. I want to start in Matthew chapter 13 where Matthew puts a whole bunch of parables together. Now, we don't think Jesus gave them one after another. We just think Matthew put them together after hearing them repeatedly. The first parable he mentions is the parable of the sower. Sower went forth to seed. It's about seeds. And then after quoting the sower and then interpreting it, He gives this parable right here, starting in verse 36, Matthew 13, 36. Then Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house, and his disciples came unto him, saying, oh, whoops, that's not the, I want to get to the actual parable. 24, that's the interpretation. 24, another parable put he forth unto them, saying, the kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, an enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat. I know, you know the parable, the parable of the wheat and the tares. Mm -hmm. So good man sowed seed. Someone, an enemy comes and sows tares. They start growing together. Should we pull out the tares? No, lest you pull out the wheat. We're going to let them grow together until the harvest. And then when they're harvested, we'll burn the tares. What's the point? It's a great parable. Yeah. But what's the point? Even when Jesus interprets it, he says, The good seed is the, he that soweth the good seed is the Son of Man, the field is the world, the good seed are the children of the kingdom. The tares are the children of the wicked, wicked one. The enemy that sowed them is the devil, the harvest is the world, the reapers are the angels. Therefore are the tares gathered and burned in the field. The angels are going to gather out the, so what's the point? Angels are going to gather out the bad stuff. We've known that. We don't need a parable to tell me angels in the end of the world are going to gather out the bad stuff. What's the point? I I find it odd that unlike all the other parables, this one doesn't have a therefore what. And I think I can tell you why it has a, it doesn't have a therefore what in the New Testament. Let me take you back to the parable. Someone's, the the kingdom of heaven is likened to a man which sowed good seed in his field and while men slept. While men slept, the enemy sowed tares. Now, watch for the repetition. Ready? Now, Heavenly Father is going to wave his arms very wildly. Are you paying attention? Turn to Doctrine and Covenants section 86. Doctrine and Covenants section 86. Now, if we were to scan the entire Doctrine and Covenants, are the other parables repeated in the, how are are there a lot of parables in the Doctrine and Covenants? If we were to scan, if we were going to take the time to go through the Doctrine and Covenants, there are no major parables. Which parable gets emphasis in the Doctrine and Covenants? which parable gets real estate in the Doctrine and Covenants? Parable of the Sower doesn't. The other parables do not get real estate in the Doctrine and Covenants, except for this one. So I begin to ask myself, why, why does the wheat and the tares get emphasis in the Doctrine and Covenants? Well, let's see if we can figure it out. The field is the world, the apostles were the sowers, and after they, the apostles, have fallen asleep the great persecutor of the church, the apostate, the whore, even Babylon, they're the ones that sowed the tares and drove the church into the wilderness. But behold, in the last days. So why didn't he interpret the parable to the Jews in the New Testament? The harvest is the end. Because where does this place the timing of the parable? Now. When was the apostles falling asleep time period? Apostasy. Me, yeah. So that means what time period are the wheat and the tares growing together? Our day. Mm-hmm. The reason I think he didn't interpret it to the Jews is because it has interpret. He needed us to know that he emphasized it in the New Testament, but didn't uh, explain it. I think Matthew 13 was for the Latter-day Saints. Mm -hmm. Are you paying attention? This is important. You live in a day when wheat and tares are growing together. Now, what's the problem with tares? Tares There's one. Until until when? Until the harvest. Let me show you the second one. Uh, Bible Dictionary. There's two problems with tares. Tell me what the problems are. Problem number one is it looks like weed until the harvest, until it comes to a head. And number one, it's poisonous. Okay, you are living in a day where you can't tell the difference between poison and what's good for you. The Lord is commenting on the, the world in which you live. Satan has had enough time to perfect his tools. You are growing up in a world where it is very difficult to tell the difference between poison and non-poison. Could you tell the difference between those two? Yeah. Do you see the difference? <laughs> I guess you could pass that around or something. Now, as I see it, As I calculate, there are four possibilities. I am growing up surrounded by wheat and tares growing together. So I'm going to tilt this so everyone can see. So let's talk about the four possibilities. Okay, the four possibilities. Now I'm going to put the two positive ones on top, the ones that don't harm me. Possibility number one is I look at you and I see wheat. I think you're a good influence. You look good. I think you are a positive influence. I'm going to let you into my life. I let you into my heart. I let you into my life. And what you turned out to be is wheat. I got it right. You've all lived long enough to know that some of the friends you chose were great choices. You saw wheat. They were wheat. And you were were blessed because you let them into your life. We've all got that one right, haven't we? The other positive is I look at you and I see terror. No, thank you. You are poison. I don't want to have you in my life. I do not want you in my life. And we've lived long enough to say we got it right. I judged correctly. And I got that one right. All of us have avoided a poison. My daughter almost married one but recognized it in time and said, you're a poison. Now, those are the positive ones. If I'm understanding the Savior's concern, there are two negative ones. I look at you and I see wheat and I let you into my life. I let you into my heart. And what you really are is poison. And you poisoned me. Have you done that one? Yeah. Have you been fooled by a tear? I was... I was fooled by a tear and it almost cost me 200000 dollars He was my roommate and he uh, and he almost caught in some ways, he almost cost me my testimony. Yeah. But do you see the concern? Heavenly Father's waving his arms and saying, You can't tell the difference sometimes. Mm-hmm. And if you can't tell the difference, that means you're going to let a tear into your life as wheat and you're going to be poisoned. And their warning voice goes up. That's enough, so. um, I was fooled by a con artist.: mm-hmm. that's rough. Yeah. but luckily, I have a really good friend who saw what I couldn't see and saved me, which grew my testimony of needing other people. Mm-hmm. Now, what's the other negative? It's it's scary. Scary. I think you are poison, and I don't want you in my life, and they turned out to be wheat. Now, what's the difference between these two mistakes? This mistake poisons me. This mistake starves me. I missed out on something that would have blessed my life because I pushed it away. Have you pushed someone or something out of your life that would have been a blessing? And have you let a poison into your life thinking it was a friend? Now, let me show you the pattern. Ready? This is where it's going to get really scary at how important this is to God. We saw it in the New Testament, right? We saw it in the Doctrine and Covenants. Where is this story in the Book of Mormon? Where do they think they see friend? And it turns out to be a foe. And where do they see foe and it turns out to be a friend? This is King Noah. And this is Abinadi. And where is that story in the Book of Mormon? In a very prominent place. And I can't help but hear the Lord. Remember, the Book of Mormon was written for our day, for our problems. I can't help but hear the Lord say, let me show you how bad and how dangerous the problem is. So So, there you go. That's our our question. But, But let's go with me. Turn with me. Just let's see the story of Noah and Abinadi. See if you can now see it with a new set of eyes. Turn with me to Mosiah chapter 11. Mosiah 11. Now you tell me, I'm going to be a little overdramatic here. You tell me in what world is Noah my friend? In what world is Noah my friend? Now tell me what he's doing in verse 2. Now this is not a large group of Nephites. Remember, Zenith came down to dwell among the Lamanites Zenith's son is Noah. This is a small group of Nephites. They are not taking Lamanite women at this point. So where are they getting these women? Our sisters, mothers, and daughters. King Noah is taking our women. He is taking my daughter, my mom. He's taking our women and we think he's our friend. In what world is that a friend? Okay, number three, verse three, he's taxing us. Now, I'm okay paying a high tax if I get something great out of it. Roads, an army that will defend me, good schools. I'll pay the HOA, I get a swimming pool out of it. I'm okay to pay the tax, but why are they paying the tax? To support him in his laziness. In fact, if you go down to verse 14, he spent his time in riotous living with his wives and his concubines. I'm being taxed so that he can live like a bum. How is that my friend? You tell me. In what world is that my friend? No. That he's taking my women, he's taking my money to live a, a lazy life. Right okay. <laughs> tell me what you know about. Look at verse. Uh, you, you know he belled him a palace. Look at verse five. Tell me what you, what you know about him. He's a drunk. Yeah. He's a drunk. Does anyone see friend here? Only no, no. no, if you're a drunk. You <laughs> <don't know why. laughs> yeah, yeah. So, let's go back through it. Not so fast. Let's put the let's put the layers on. What may have caused them to see friend? Take a look at verse 2. It's okay to sin. It's okay to sin. And all of a sudden the blinders start to go on and instead of foe, what do they see? They see friend. It's okay to sin. How about verse seven? Tell me, now this is where I fell. This is where I fell prey to a Noah. How often have you allowed a Noah into your life because they did what? They smooth talked you. And do you see why maybe the blinders went on? How about verse 12? This is a very subtle one. He built a tower, and what does, why why would you build a tower? I see the enemy coming. What is he doing? He's making them feel safe. Now, how many of you have been fooled by the wrong kind of person? Because they flattered you? Made you feel safe and suggested it was okay that you don't have to do as much and work as hard. Yeah, that sounds like a con artist. It does. Mm-hmm. Now, along comes Abinadi. Along comes Abinadi. And what does he say? What does he say? What's his message? Y'all, Yo, You better <laughs> repent. Bad things are coming. I see them. You're going to be in pain. You're going to hurt. You better repent. And what do they say? You know, I, I don't like you. Yeah, don't like you're not saying nice things. You don't say things I like to hear, so you're not my friend. So watch what they do. Sounds like a lot of people. And they were wroth with him. Who's the they and who's the them? The him. The people. Not Noah, not the guards, not his arm, not his... his um. Priests. The people want to take away Noah or Noah's life, a life. The people. Now I love this phrase. Look at verse twenty nine. What's Mormon's commentary here? The eyes of the people were blinded. Now, why is Mormon putting this story on the gold plates? Uh, Because it's happening. Do you see the story? You have let uh, Noah into your life and you are convinced he's good, that he's friend. And the reality is he is poison. And you have convinced yourself that Abinadi is your enemy. And you are pushing Abinadi out of your life. The next chapter, let's focus on Abinadi. What does he come? He he tells them all these things. They'll howl like a dog. They'll be smitten. Insects will pester their land. They'll devour their grain. Dogs will devour their flesh. Do all of these things happen to them? Yes. Every one of them happens. But what's their reaction when Abinadai says it? Burn. You're not my friend. Yeah. Now the reality is, who is their best friend? Person trying to warn them. The one trying to save them from harm. Mm-hmm. And what do they think of that person? Enemy. He is a foe. Mm-hmm. And they always use the J word. I've taught so many Noah blind people and they always use the J word. They are angry with him. They took him and carried him carried him before the king. And they said what? How dare you judge us? How dare you judge us? How dare you judge Noah? You don't know him. You don't understand him, mom and dad. You don't know him like I know him. And we use the J word. Now tell me what they're going to do to Abinadite. They're going to burn him. Because what do you do to tears? You burn him. So, fast forward, okay? Let me tell you how the story ends. Here's what I hate about Lucifer Lucifer, when does he take the blinders off? A lot when it's too late. When you are, it's too late. Watch how, how cruel this is. One man figures out who, a bit, who Noah is, and he's going to come. And, no, Gideon's going to come and destroy Noah. You are an enemy to this people, and I'm going to destroy you. So Gideon and Noah are fighting, and they get up on top, and, they, and, and he sees the armies of the Lamanites, and he says, "Gideon, spare me, for the Lamanites are upon us, and they'll destroy us." Now let's read verse eight. Allow me to just scream this, if I could. Now the king was not so much concerned about his people as he was about his own life. He is not your friend. You've let a Noah into your life, blinded into thinking that this is friend and he is not your friend. He is poison. Now Noah's today are people, Noah's today are substances, Noah's today are philosophies and causes and all sorts of things, and they are not your friend. The king was not so much concerned about his people, but the people think he's friend. So tell me what the, what does the friend say? What does my friend say? I need to know what to do here because the Lamanites are here. So I turn to my friend and my blinders are on and I say, what should I do, friend? And my friend says, run, run from the Lamanite army. So the Dunford family starts running. Okay, let me, let me see if I can show you my crew. Ready? Dunford family... I know I have a picture in here, let's see. Here we go, here's the Dunford crew, okay? I have 10 kids, one, there's my first, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, where's Logan, seventh, Eighth, ninth, tenth. Grandson, grandson, granddaughter, grandson, grandson. Now, that family's going to outrun the Lamanite army. (laughs) Now, there's no way the little ones will outrun the army. So we'll carry the little ones, right? Now, my youngest is a big boy. He's going to be hard to carry, but I'll carry. I'll carry Owen. And I'll see if Owen or Spencer can carry Keegan. We can get the little ones carried, but, but I've, got, I've got a 16-year-old. He's not going to outrun the Lamanite army. I have a 19-year-old daughter who's not going to outrun the Lamanite army. And we're falling behind. The Dunford family is falling behind. And I turn to my friend and I say, help. Help me, friend. What should I do? What should I do because the Lamanite army is going to catch me? And my friend says, leave the women and the children. And what do I think he is? What do I see him right now? As a friend. And so I put down my son, let go of my wife's hand and the adult, the adults that can run. I leave my 19 year old daughter behind. And I get to a clearing. Oh, 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 I made it. We're good. All right, we're safe. We outrun the layman. Okay, we're good. We're good. Wait a minute. And what happens? Tell me what happens. What have I done? I'm going back. I'm going back. I'm going back to my family, I'm gonna go back to my wife, I'm going back. And someone steps forward and says, no, you're not. You're not going back. Get out of my way. Who stops them and says, you're not going back? And for the first time ever, tell me what happens in that clearing. The blinders come off and what do they see? This man has never been my friend. And what do they do to him in that clearing? The exact, what you do to tares, right? You burn tares. So they burn Noah. Now, guess what? What do they need? What do they need right now to guide them and help them find the way? Uh, A prophet. prophet. We need a prophet. Oh, whoops. And the okay, what else do they need? We need our families. Wow. Oh, whoops! When does Satan take the blinders off? Mm-hmm. Always at the last. It's the most cruel thing he does. So how do we detect the that, So how do you're we get we getting the there? Evidence? You're getting there, right? How do we solve this problem? How do we solve this problem? Now let me let me take this in a couple directions let me answer that with the book of mormon and then we'll go to the next couple weeks gospel and mental and emotional health the answer is in the book of mormon now there are tell me chronologically who comes first noah or benjamin If you look at the dates, who comes first? Nope. Noah predates Benjamin by quite a few years. How does the Book of Mormon present it? Isn't that interesting? So here's the Book of Mosiah, 29 chapters of Mosiah, and where does the Lord put King Noah? Where have we been studying? Right in the middle is Noah. Who comes before Noah? Benjamin. Why would the Lord put Benjamin before Noah? If chronologically he comes after. Good. But what does understanding the message of Benjamin do? Prevents. Who comes with Noah? Abinadi. What does Binadi's message do? C- he cures. Did it work? Did it work? Well, partially. How many? One. Who? I don't know. It worked. Mm-hmm. There's the message. And who comes after? Now, here's the painful thing if you ever get Noah blind. It usually costs you again and again, and you're gonna pay for it for a long time. I almost paid for it for the rest of my life. I taught a girl once that fell into the arms of a Noah and her moral life fell apart. She violated the law of chastity, discovered he was a Noah, repented, changed her life, turned her life around. She starts dating this returned missionary, wonderful young man, decides to tell him about her past. And he does what? I, I can't do this. I can't, I can't do this. And she came to see me and just weeping and said, when? How do I get? How? When am I ever going to be cured for the mistake I made? When is healing ever going to come for the mistake, the Noah blindness that I well, whose message is the message of healing? Alma. Look at the structure of Book of Mormon and you tell me if the answer is not there. Now that's a subject for another day. That's a subject for a Book of Mormon class. But let me just point out that the message I hear in this emphasis is we're, we're making two major mistakes that affect our mental and emotional health. What are they? We're letting the wrong people in, mm-hmm. and, pushing the right people. and we're pushing the right people out. That is what I hear the Savior saying. By putting it in Matthew, by putting it in the Doctrine and Covenants, by putting it in such a prominent place in the Book of Mormon, what I hear the Savior saying is the biggest challenge that you're going to face in the latter days is you're letting the wrong people in, and they are harming you. Just, can I take a poll? Just how many of you would say the most painful experiences of your life have become uh, are because you let the wrong person in? Mm-hmm. And the other painful things that are causing us to suffer and starve is because we're keeping the right people out. We're not letting the right people in. And that's what I want to talk about. Next week, let's do the negative. Let me share with you two, two tears that you let into your heart as wheat. And they are poisoning you. We all do it. And it is harming us spiritually, physically, mentally, emotionally, in every way of our life. We are letting the wrong people in. And then let's talk about the people we're not letting in. Allow me to suggest that one of them is your greatest friend. You are not letting the Savior into your life, not like you could and should. We love Him and we're terrified of Him, and we keep Him at a distance at our peril. So how can we drop the defenses and the vulnerabilities and let him in? Now, last week, I would suggest, is another person you're not letting in? This is where I want to, I want to just make the connection. Name one person you see as tear and are keeping out you. I am keeping me out and not embracing who I am. Now, do you see that repetition begs us to say that we need to talk about this. Letting the right people in and keeping the wrong people out is perhaps one of the greatest ways to improve mental and emotional health.